Thank you for tuning in to the Evolution Podcast. And once again, this episode is sponsored by Shredlights. Shredlights make the most versatile flashlights in the world. They can be easily attached to any electric vehicle. So whether that's an electric unicycle, electric skateboard, e-bike, even your helmet, a scooter, a one wheel, or maybe you're just doing some work on your Tesla, either way, these pocket-sized lights have a ton of power in a very small form factor to go where other lights can't. Also, they are rider-owned and operated and known for their amazing customer support. Look, with 25,000 riders around the world who trust their products for daily riding, Shredlights is a no-brainer for EV riders. So please check out this sponsor in the description for a discount and also to support this podcast. I personally love the second life of the batteries. You've got people, primarily women, walking around with cans, you know, milk jugs of volatile gasoline sure. to, run, to run generators. They could be doing the same thing with a swappable battery. They could build a little, they're like Legos. You could put them together and put a solar panel roof on it and it will recharge as opposed to making that walk every day with the gasoline and it'll pump your water, give you lights. Welcome back, everybody, to the Evolution Podcast. My name is Mickey, and today we have my guest, Steve Gilbert from Sun Mobility. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So I think we could probably just start with you giving us a little bit of a background on uh, sort of who you are and what you do at your company, and then we'll kind of yeah, go from there. Happy to do that. So um, I've been an investor for the past 50 years which is a number that staggers even me. Um, and I've been through a number of iterations from running private equity firms to running the um, uh, leverage buyout and private equity side of George Soros's operation. Um, and most recently, um, I have become the chairman of Sun Mobility. And Sun Mobility is um, an electric vehicle company, but it's different than most other electric vehicle companies because it uses swappable batteries. Mm. And if, if I could just take a second to tell your audience why, why this is important, it, it takes a little conditioning. Sure. So um, there are 3 billion people in the world that do not have and will never have a personal mobility vehicle. 85% of the people in India do not have a personal mobility vehicle and probably never will. And so they all use shared mobility. So there's 3 billion people in the world that we in America never hear about. Unless there's an earthquake in Indonesia or a riot in India, all American news emanates from Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, and a few other cities. And we don't pay attention right. to what's going on with the 3 billion people in the world that we can't see, most of whom have no cars and many of whom have no toilets. And we're just just uh, blissfully ignorant of those, those people. True. So in these countries, these 3 billion people, in order to get where they're going, they need a shared mobility vehicle. In many countries, it's called a tuk-tuk. And it gets that name because that was the sound made by the old diesel or ice engine oh, yeah. as it vibrated along and took them to the station or to their place of work or to the grocery store or to the market, wherever they had to go during that day, and then took them back. Almost all of these countries now have mandated a ban on ice vehicles. You cannot in India buy an internal combustion engine tuk-tuk. Oh, wow. You must buy an electric tuk-tuk. And there are 30 countries that have this ban, 13 cities. Is in, this brand recent? Pretty recent, yeah, just like California, right? Um, England. Um, this is relatively recent. In the last two to three years, there have been blanket bans on the sale and manufacture of internal combustion engines, which is why Volkswagen, Tesla, and all these people are, are gearing up to manufacture EVs, which you understand better than most. Here is the issue. 
In New York City, there are 30,000 vehicles operated by the city of New York. Wow. If they were all electric vehicles, lead-acid vehicles, it would require 273 football fields to put <laughs> them all in it for four to five hours. Yeah. Now just imagine, how long did it take you to get out of your last, before the pandemic, to get out of your last football game? 45 minutes, an hour of crawling in traffic? Yeah. So yep. now just imagine a football field filled with chargers and guys driving in and women driving in their garbage truck, their police car, their fire engine, whatever it is, to get charged in one of these 273 locations. Even if half were in the day and half were at night, it's still 136 football fields. Yeah. How are those people, once they drop off their vehicle for charging, going to get home? And how are they going to get back? Right. The logistics are daunting for traditional batteries. Now, here's another aspect. Think what it's going to do to the grid when somebody installs 2,000 charging stations in a football field. <laughs> yeah. And you, have, and you have 275 of them. The entire city will go dark. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. Right? Wait, now imagine the environmental issues of digging up all those places. You've got gas lines. You've got water lines. You've got electric lines. You've got sewage lines. You've got, you know, trees. You've got roots. Mm -hmm. Just getting the environmental approvals in a place like Los Angeles could take you 20 years. Interesting. So the future is electric vehicles, but we've got to be smart about it. And if... I could indulge your listeners. The average ride in a Tesla is 35 miles. Okay. Back and forth. For that, it carries around a 1,200 pound battery. Mm -hmm. You got to carry that battery around. Yeah. You got to have, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it doesn't make sense now. Everybody wants to own a car that can go from. Merced to Bakersfield, like the bullet train. Yeah. Right? And so I get it, and there's range anxiety and all these other issues, but I think of it as horses for courses. You need some vehicles that can take long trips, right. but most vehicles take short trips. I'll give you another example. All buses go in a circular route. They, where's home for you, Vicky? Uh, here in Brooklyn, so. In okay, a, in I'll give you a good example. What's that? The, West, the 79th Street bus in Manhattan goes from East 79th Street to West 79th Street and then back again. Yeah. If you take the bus to JFK, it goes to JFK and then comes back to the in-town airport terminal or it goes to a hotel and then goes back. It's always in a circle. Why does it carry a 4,500-pound battery that takes up 14 seats? Yeah. It could take up a smaller battery, and when it comes to the end of its loop, replace it and swap it. Yeah, I've spoke to these bus drivers because, you know, we do have, obviously, a, quite a few electric buses now in the city, and they've installed these uh, chargers on, like, the west side and the east side, and they just go and they'll either do a fast charge, or I guess if the shift is done for that bus, they'll do it longer, but... That's, yeah, they have to sit there and wait. They have this giant battery, and then they sit there and charge, and then they go to the same loop again. Right. And that battery takes up 14 seats. So 14 more people could be on that bus. If you've ever been on a crowded bus and you would like 14 people to go away, as I have, yes. that would be a godsend. So the, the, I'm a great believer in electric vehicles. I just think we need to be more logical about it. In America, mm. We only think about solving the problem that's in front of our nose. I would like to think that if you're in Brooklyn and New York City, there would be absolutely quiet, small, two and three wheel vehicles making deliveries on 34th Street so it wasn't clogged up with these giant trucks. Fresh Direct, they leave their trucks on the road. Mm. They, they have made a business decision that they're gonna pay the tickets that's their business model, and use those trucks ah. as a freestanding, ice-cold warehouse. Right. I've seen this, too. I've seen them pull over and park 
for hours yeah. and I always wonder like, what, what are they doing? I used to drive trucks mm-hmm. for a living here. So I, I'm like, I've got that anxiety. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. That's that, yeah, me too. And that's that, they're just little warehouses. Mm. Now just imagine that you are delivering Uber Eats. You're going right back to the kitchen and you're making that loop. Mm-hmm. You don't need a big battery. You need a small battery that can be replaced when yours runs out of juice. Yeah. So it's a lot of the barely, e-bike guys here do that. They have these swappable large right. canisters on their e-bikes. Right. So it really makes sense, and it makes a tremendous amount of sense in the three for the three billion people in the rest of the world for whom personal mobility vehicles are not an option. And... Uh, so we've started a company in India, and we have agreements all around the world, um, in Peru, in, in, but also uses TuckDucks. Latin America uses them. Mm. Egypt uses them. Nigeria uses them. Uh, they're used all over the world, and it's a very efficient, quiet solution. And the driver gets an app on his phone mm-hmm. that tells him how far he's gone what it's cost him, his energy as a service, and when his battery runs low, it also does thermal management so that he can tell if his battery is getting too hot and getting close to going on fire or has been penetrated. Right. And then he pulls up to what looks like a Coca-Cola machine. And that Coca-Cola machine contains batteries that have been charging, Mm. sometimes with solar panels, sometimes with uh, mains electricity, he puts in his old battery. He puts his fob up against it. It tells him how much energy he's used, how much it's cost him, how he's paid. He pulls out another one, puts it in the back. The whole thing takes a minute. They weigh about 30 pounds each. And he's off. Right. But he doesn't have to transport around that big lead-acid battery right. or that engine that took up extra seats. So he's making more revenue more passengers at a lower cost, and his capital expenditure is much lower because he's using little batteries, not big batteries. And let me, if I could, give you one other thing. When you buy a Tesla, and I'm not knocking Elon Musk, I would, lots of parts of Elon Musk, I would gladly trade to, to, to have his net worth. <laughs> but when you buy a Tesla today, you are buying a nine-year-old liquid honeycomb battery. Mm. You are not buying a state-of-the-art solid-state battery. And unless you think they're going to take your car apart and give you a new one, it's like buying a new Mac with a nine-year-old processor and a nine-year-old drive and a nine-year-old battery. Right, because when you need, if your battery were to die, I don't know what the lifespan is, maybe 10 years or something on a Tesla battery, but you got to buy a whole new Tesla. That's correct. So if you're in a swappable battery, you are technology agnostic. So we actually make the pod that goes around that, the black stuff that's the battery. Right. That pod has GPRS, GPS, GSRM. It communicates with the battery. It communicates with the cloud. Mm-hmm. If a better battery comes along, we take that black stuff out and put in the new stuff. Gotcha. From my point of view, it could be flubber if you're old enough to remember what yes. flubber is. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It could be hydrogen. It could be methane. We don't really care. We make the pod. So the question on that I have is, so there's obviously a BMS somewhere in there. Um, how is that sort of integrated in the sense of like, since you could just put another battery tech in there if there's a better one that came along like f- in my world uh we ride a lot of these micro mobility stuff around so electric skater uh, scooters bikes unicycles the whole nine uh, it's the way they design them maybe not the best but they intrinsically tie it inside the lithium battery so it's like you'd have to unwrap the cells and unsolder rip the solder off to get the bms out how is it done we, we we do it through the pod. Okay, it's all it's communicated into the cloud, and it's we've been doing it for millions of miles in India already. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pay 
for any reason, we can shut your battery remotely and shut you off. Mm. So you have to pay if you want to get home. Um, we air condition in this little Coke machine. And it's even better that in a Coke machine, a truck has to roll with more cans and put those cans in the machine. We don't have to do that. We can get solar power and recharge our Coke cans right in the machine. So when people are done with their used battery, they put it in, back in your machine. It's yep. like a sick, so you don't even need a service to help move it along in the set, right? Because people, once they're in the system, are recharging, so to speak, for you. That's right. We know where they are. We know all their data. We know how fast they're going. We know where they're going. We know when they're going. We have all that data. It's all on in the cloud and on their app. Right. If they're running low on battery, they get a little warning. What's it tells them where the nearest charging station is. They go to the charging station. They pull out the battery that's depleted, put it in, take out a new one. They're on their way less than a minute. Interesting. So it might be difficult to describe over audio, but I am curious. Um, what the sort of, hopefully it's not something super proprietary you can't talk about, but what is the mechanism that allows the swappable, like, for example, the things like my audience, most of them, you have a Tesla um, or they have, some, like I said, some micro mobility thing where it's wired in, right? So your thing is some sort of leads or something that's metal that connects it. How does that? That's correct. So we, we do it, we use Microsoft. Microsoft is our partner. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, Microsoft connects it to the cloud and then down. But it's all built into the pod. So there's a metal pod that surrounds the battery and encases the battery. Mm -hmm. And that, that case and pod is what does the communication because it has built-in wireless. Right. And it's actually, um, it took a long time to develop the um very long time to develop, a long time to perfect. What What's genius about it now is in all these countries, and this is something else most Americans don't pay attention to, you go to the gas station, you fill up, it's two eighty-five a gallon, probably a dollar more in New York. In in Europe and in India, it's $10, $12, $14 a gallon. Right, right, right. Very, very expensive. And the pressure on fossil fuels... Now, it means all these governments are increasing taxes. And right. as they increase taxes on fossil fuels, the differential between using EVs and fossil fuel vehicles gets greater and greater. It becomes cheaper and cheaper to use an EV, which is what the government wants. Right. It's interesting because I wonder how much this is a, con a converse, serious conversation people have about, you know, certain third world countries, um, sort of just had their industrial revolution not too f long ago. So we're like already starting to squeeze them out of it. Like they discovered fossil fuels and they were like, ah, you're a bad human if you use these things. <laughs> and it's like, I wonder like what the stress is like on like a social, I don't know, like socioeconomic level, you know, to like regular people. That's a great question. Let me give you an example. My wife and I, before the pandemic were in, maybe five years ago, we were in Mumbai and we were coming home and all these flights for the States leave in the middle of the night. It has something to do with the timing so that they land in the morning in New York. Mm. And we left our hotel room and my wife looked back at me and she said, oh my God, the hotel's on fire. And I said, no, no, it's not on fire. That's what the air looks like. Uh, and you could not see the elevator doors from four doors down wow. indoors at a five-star hotel because the pollution is so bad. It's exactly what you're talking about. Everybody now has a washing machine. They have a dryer. They have all the things that we've become accustomed to. Mm -hmm. And every village has a guy with a gas engine that's pumping or, or milling or cutting or sawing, and their pollution is beyond anything we've ever seen here. Yeah. And so pressure on them to get clean air is enormous. I mean, I spent time in Beijing for a while, and it's like I'm somewhat familiar with that's like, like the, 
the certain ring is just complete pollution magnets. You know, it's like that's all they're doing is polluting the planet. But I mean, that's just like what they've arrived at. And, you know, far be it for me to tell some guy who finally got a two stroke engine to power his little workshop. Right. You know, to, to mill, you know, what little puppets or whatever he's making or baskets. You know, these guys worked hard for that. Um, if you take a, take a look in your spare time at the availability of electricity in Africa, you will be shocked. There are dozens of countries, well, or a dozen, that have virtually no access to electricity at all. Mm. We take these 30-pound batteries, they have a second life. When they're done powering cars, we take them out to the villages, you put a solar array on top of them, they'll power internet, cell phones, water pumping, lights. Many of these villages do not have lights. Right. I mean, everything stops like yeah. it did in Revolutionary War times when it gets dark. I worked on a documentary that was shot in India, and I remember asking the director of photography like, how they lit one of the scenes in there, and he was like, uh, that's just the sun through these high windows they have in the mm -hmm. room for the classroom right. for the kids. And it just comes right down through and that's it. And once the sun's out of a certain direction, school's out. <laughs> that's and, and by the way, when you think about it, that's why we're so much more productive post-Edison than we were pre-Edison. Mm. Because we can work later. Now, there are some, some that would argue we've done it wrong. And that Thorsten Veblen was wrong, and instead of buying more leisure time with our technology, we're buying more work. Yeah, and uh, I think that's probably right. But but I think your your question is a great one, and and comes right to the point. I mean, clearly, the Chinese are building pretty much one coal-fired plant every week. They have enormous enormous electricity needs. Right, um, and we can we can make small bits of progress, I think getting dirty two-stroke engines off the street will do a lot, not only in countries without personal mobility, but even in the United States, New York City. I mean, you go around Brooklyn, why do you need a, a UPS truck the size of a brontosaurus to come and deliver you a little 12-ounce package? Yeah. Right? He's going back to the warehouse anyway. Right. Yeah. You could have you could have a two wheel or a three wheel, particularly a three wheel. These tuk tuks are three wheel. Right. They're sort of a combination between a motorcycle and a and a car with a big loader in the back. And you know, if you had to go out with the big heavy stuff, you'd have to take that big truck. But for most deliveries, right, little small know, packages or whatever, little bags, right? Right. Pizza. Pizza is a huge delivery business. Why does yeah. pizza need a, 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 an internal combustion engine? Right? Right. So well, I think that's the line. Also an infrastructure thing too, right? Like to go with your example of New York, um, you know, I live in Brooklyn and, you know, my my office here is in, in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So we have large trucks that come in and offload all kinds of stuff. But um, like, all right, so if you have a smaller three-wheeled um vehicle that can deliver the majority of those smaller packages that don't need a massive thing. Like, I guess the question would be like, how many can you fit into one of those and how often does it go back to the, the warehouse? Cause like, I know because I'm a resident here, like the warehouse is pretty far away. <laughs> so as of now, that's probably why there's, they're not, I mean, we're not on EVs yet full course here, but that's why he's got a big truck with gas. You know, like he's got to go back to all the way to Queens to mass with Queens to get everything and then come back to Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, that's probably pretty bad logistics considering I think Brooklyn is our, our most, is the most populated borough in New York. It's it sounds about right. Pandemic throwing things off. So, so who knows? Um, so, you know, most people really haven't paid attention to logistics because energy has been so cheap. Hmm. Um, so what if you have to go to Maspeth? So what? It's, you know, $2 worth of uh, gasoline, $5 worth of gasoline, $10, whatever the number is. But over time, when we really start to think about how we spend our energy, people are going to get smarter about it. I like and, the idea of that. I mean, the sense of like, I'm really interested in that 
sort of path you're, you're on in the sense of a lot of people I meet or talk to and have serious conversations about EVs, they're just in this weird, like uh, black and white, like, is it good or bad? Should we have it or not have it? And like, that's, a, that's like water under the bridge to me. Like we need to be having more nuanced conversations about, as you've said, like how to be smart about integrating it into our, uh, our life. I think that's it's very interesting. There's no doubt that EVs are coming. I'll give you a personal story. We, we, ha we have a place in the mountains in Colorado, and a lot of our friends come from California who live there for the summer. And we had, you might remember, some really terrible fires in Colorado this mm -hmm. summer, really bad. And the people who had Teslas had mapped out their journey. It usually takes them two days from San Francisco or L.A. to get to Vail. But because of the fires, they got detoured. It took them four days. Oh. Why? The place that they were going to go to charge, you know, they they had charged the first night and they were going to arrive home the second night. Now they're in the middle of nowhere and they got to find, they got, you know, six, eight hours of driving ahead of them and their tank says, you know, the, the Tesla meter says zero. Right. Now what do you do? You got to go sit in a 7-Eleven for three hours so that you can go then find a hotel that will take you overnight that maybe has a charger. And by the way, the 7-Eleven doesn't like it. The 7-Eleven wants you to buy a beef jerky and get the hell out so the next guy can buy a beef jerky. Mm -hmm. They don't want people sitting there all day. And, and it's no fun. And so we really haven't thought about it. We haven't thought about all the... So if you're in Brooklyn, you won't appreciate this, but you will after I tell you. So I'm in, I have another business that's in the home building business. If we buy raw land in Virginia, mm -hmm. just raw, untitled, unentitled land, we can turn it into a home that you can buy in three years. Sounds reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. We buy that same piece of land in California, we budget 21 years. Oh, why? Environmental, storm drain, you name it, it takes 21 years to get approvals in California. That's crazy. We agree. That's why California houses are so expensive. Half the price of every new home in California is red tape. Wow. Now try to imagine building millions of charging stations. Hmm. Digging up the ground. I mean, what if there's a snail darter down there? What if there's a, a spotted owl? You're oh, going to be, you're gonna be bringing in. It's over. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you're going to be bringing in heavy electrical lines mm -hmm. all, all over the place to build charging stations. And people are going to sit there for an hour, two hours, however long it takes. How would you like to have a bunch of people charging outside your house every day? So do you... Okay, the burning question now is like, I'm sure everyone's thinking it. Do you really think that a personal owned car like a Tesla? So maybe even Tesla is just too early because they're coming from an old world model of the way we own and use cars. But do you think that you actually for your personal, you know, future Toyota Camry that's all electric, you will be able to have a swappable on that? So there's a company called Ample that just came out with a swappable battery system here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. That's not my market. I'm not looking for passenger cars in the U.S. I'm looking in the third world mm -hmm. where there are 10 times more people, 10 times bigger market. Um, I think it is not only likely that we will have swappable batteries, but I think there's a good chance, if you really want to think ahead, that we won't have individually owned personal mobi mobility vehicles. Of course, that's that's come up a lot. Right. And, um, it, you know, for my generation, everybody had a car and they customized it and changed the carburetor and made it look good and fast and put mm -hmm. tassels and a, and a bobtail on it or a Union 76 thing on the radio antenna or whatever they did. I don't think this generation feels that way. They, they're more utilitarian. If it gets me to where I go, I don't really care. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, um, I'm okay with that. It's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, the only things that really matter are flesh and blood. You know, cars come, they go. 
get sentimental about them if you're my age, but they really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Right. It's only flesh and blood that matters. And I could see a situation where we have something like they have in third world countries with self-driving, uh, autonomous vehicles, mm-hmm. and you just call up a, you know, you, you hit your phone and yeah. something shows up, takes you yeah. to the market, you take your stuff and it, it goes back. That would be, because otherwise, if I remember my numbers correctly, if you own a personal vehicle, and forgetting New York where it's very expensive just to park them, you use it about 6% of the time. Weird. Well, think about it. You know, all the time you're asleep, you're not using it. So that takes out half the day right there. You're at work most of the day, so you're not using it. So you use it on weekends and evenings occasionally. So the average personal vehicle is used 6% of the hours on the clock. So 94% of the time, it's just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, this this came up a lot um, when I spoke to uh, Mark Rice a, f- a few weeks back. Um, he's an energy supplier here in the U.S. And yeah, the, the whole waste thing was like, it's mind-blowing. Just, you know, I mean, when you think of it that way, it's from like a sort of analytical, like, just sits in your garage or your driveway like 90% of the time. Well, we, because we're Americans and we're a rich country, we have lots of things that sit around and do nothing. Um, but, you know, when you talk about buying a $30,000 hunk of metal mm. with a hell of a lot of electronics, LIDAR, radar, chips, and it's sitting around in your garage... By the way, if you have a personal vehicle and you live in Brooklyn, it's probably sitting there 90%, 95% of the time. Yeah, I, you, I don't you get can't people get to it, you can't own here. It. It's kind of weird, right? Like, Right. And so it, it just, it's very, very expensive. It's an incredible luxury. Yeah. And most people in the world can't afford it. And most people in the world shouldn't afford it. Now, if you live in... Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and you got to go 60 miles to get a loaf of bread. I get it. You need it. Right. Um, or you want to go visit your, you live in Brooklyn, you want to go visit your kids who moved to Savannah. You're going to, you know, you're going to maybe want to drive. And, right. but for that one mission a year or that two missions a year, we put on a 1200 pound battery. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And we have range anxiety. It, you know, so if I were, if I were Elon, I'd be selling two different cars, or I'd put a swappable battery in the front where you could go in and recharge it. Because right. we've been at this now what, for 10, 12 years, and we only have about 9% of the charging stations that we need. And their whole battery system, though, is that's what I was sort of getting at before, right? It's like Elon's system. The old Blackberries, which used to be very popular before the iPhone took them out, they had swappable batteries. Oh, yeah, yeah, all of us, Well, yeah, we forget. Right? And all of us who use Blackberries, you'd throw two or three extra batteries in your briefcase, and you never had to hug the wall. Right. Yeah. This is, like, everyone's biggest complaint with Apple, right? Is, like, when right. it first came out, everyone's like, oh, amazing. Wait, what? I can't ever? Like, what happens if my battery fails? They go, buy a new one. You're like, hmm? <laughs> what? Well... I understand why Apple does that. They do that for two reasons, one of which is they can't get a design as slim as the one that they have mm. with a with a swappable battery. They're, they're, if you've ever opened up one of those things, they are so packed full. Right. Yeah, of course. Well, that's what I was saying about going to say about Tesla was, you know, like I said, his model might change in the future, but for now... That isn't the whole bottom of the car is just one long thin battery cell. So like obviously you can't you can't swap that. It's insane. So they they really built it. Maybe it was for specific like he they felt like design wise that was the most efficient way to build the car. But I think if if what you're into catches on, which I think it most likely will, I think that we'll maybe see their model change in the future. Well, their, their, their model also results from weight distribution. Mm-hmm. They need the bottom of the car to have that weight so it has a low center of gravity. Right. If you put the battery higher up, you might tip over when you made a left turn. 
So there's a lot of engineering that goes into both the placement of that battery. And I think the solution they came up with clearly was a genius solution because they sell a ton of them and yeah. and he's a tremendously wealthy guy. But and I and I think you probably can swap the battery, but you'd have to take the car apart. Yeah, I think as of now it's built proprietary because he was the first, so so to speak. Obviously electric electric vehicles existed for like a hundred years or something. But right. um right so he's like the big guy he's the he's the big man who came out swinging so there's no reason for him really to, to like think about a community share swappable system like so now that we've seen the evs uh, of the big car companies the big you know at the super bowl we all got the big uh, advertisement that they're going to have x amount of evs in the next so many years it's like okay they're joining the party this is good so what what elon did and i give him a lot of credit for this is he made EVs fun. Mm. He didn't make them utilitarian hair shirt vehicles. He said, I'm going to give you two iPads. I'm going to deliver a software updates. I'm going to give you ludicrous mode. <laughs> You're going to go fast. It's going to look good. It's going to have a really stylish design, which probably hasn't changed in 10 years and still looks good. Yeah. So go look at a Bolt or a Nissan Leaf and look at a Tesla. Oh, I remember he, they were so ugly. That's right. So I give him the credit. He made, he turned it from being a utilitarian, something you kind of, you know, you wore a hair shirt to show everyone that you were environmentally clean, you know, to something that enabled you to protect the environment and at the same time have fun. Right, because it was like the hippie thing, right? Like everybody was like, oh, you're that guy who like is a vegan and you have an electric car. Like that. <laughs> like that's such a ridiculous, I'm, I agree with you. I'm glad he did what he did because it really opened it up beyond. You, just, can, be, you can be a hot rodder. Yeah. And have a Tesla and no one's going to, and, and, you know, because a lot of people put a lot of personal um, thought into a vehicle. It represents them. They mm -hmm. kind of say, this is who I am. And when you get a bolt, it says, um, you know, I'm just scraping by and <laughs> this is the best I can do. When you get a Tesla, it says, I care about the environment, but I'm cool and I'm having fun. Yeah. When, when any Tesla rolls up on your in your driveway, you don't go, what's that? You go, ooh, what is that? That's exactly right. So that's where I think the great bulk of his genius in that venture lies is he made it fun. And how could you not like a car with two iPads sitting in the middle. It's funny because, you know, there's, I'm sure you know, but the, the talk of the town for a while was like, well, actually my dad said this to me the other day. He still is, I think he's just behind the times, but he was just like, yeah, but there's that giant distracting iPad in there. I'm like, why is it distracting? And he was like, it's huge. I go, dad, you have a speedometer and everything else in front of you in your current GM truck. Do you feel that's distracting? He's like, I'm like, it's just showing me the vitals, right? How fast, like air conditioning, like all the crap you already have. Anyways, the point is, I think the new GM that's being, was they showed some images, they've got one too, but it's got a little knob on it. It's like, it's like clearly it's, he's made an impact. It was, it was genius. He, he, he saw around the corner, in my opinion, and that's why, and, and not only did he see around the corner, he did something about it. A lot of people see around the corner, but... Not many do do something about it, and he did, sure. and that's why he's the wealthiest man in the world, and he makes a fun car. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to convince my family to buy them, and they're all they're. I feel like the podcast kind of secretly is me like going, "Hey, listen to this episode." <laughs> like when I had Mark Rice on, I was like, "All right, so my my family are anti electric vehicle, not because they hate the environment, but they believe it won't take them where they need to go." Like the range anxiety thing is real for, for gas owners. They're like, yeah, but like my dad lives in South Florida. It's like, okay, well, I like to go to Disney World a lot. So I'm never going to make it there. I'm going to have to spend like hours charging just to get to Disney World when I can get there on one tank right now. And Mark was like, mm, that's right. ridiculous. And he's right. I have, I have friends. And if we go to play golf and I live in South Florida, if we go to play golf in Tampa, they have to rent a car if they have a Tesla. But now we have superchargers, though. It just takes, like, slightly longer. If you can find one. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, 
I looked it up. There's actually quite a few on that journey. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it, but, like but in now, Wyoming, it might be tougher, right? How about the middle of Florida in Lake Okeechobee? Yeah, for right? sure. I mean, we're talking, we're talking sugarcane, right? There are no, there are not a lot of superchargers there. And the problem is you don't want to be stuck for three, three and a half hours. So literally I, I went to play golf with a friend and, and we met up in, in some place in Tampa, I said, where's your car? He said, well, I had to rent one because I didn't think I could make it back. <laughs> it's, so, it's silly, right? So there are some journeys. If you're an outdoorsman and you want to go out camping and you want to go out and do stuff, you need a gasoline vehicle or a right. hybrid vehicle that will do those for you. I get that, but that doesn't mean that's a specialized vehicle. If you're in an 18-wheeler, you need diesel. Because a diesel engine is the only thing that's going to produce the torque and the BHP that you need to run that diesel vehicle, right? Gasoline for passenger cars, every, but for a lot of applications, swappable batteries will take the place of vehicles that now only go 35 miles. Yeah, I could imagine even like a person, like my dad's a pickup truck guy. It's like his thing. So I could just definitely imagine like him driving and on the i-95 stop on the way to orlando that he could just pull over and just swap i mean just like every i-95 stop has extra batteries on hand you know those blue rhino things where they sell the the, the propane yeah, yeah yeah it's the same concept right okay if that's a great way to frame, frame it for sure if you were using propane in your car that would be the same way i just think it's going to be a while before this concept takes hold in America where people love and can afford their big passenger cars. Right. In the rest of the world where they don't have cars, they can't afford cars, and they need shared mobility vehicles, this is going to be much, much more popular and much more useful. And we have partnered with Uber and Piaggio and Indian Oil. So Indian Oil in India has 35,000 service stations. That's more than Exxon, Mobil, anybody has in America. They yeah. dominate. And instead of digging up the ground and closing a station for two weeks and getting environmental permits, we just put down one of our Coke machines and we're off and they're ready to go. That's It's a very simple solution. You've definitely reduced the friction. And I think that's like something super key in a space where people are just afraid of what they don't know. Everyone's afraid of what they don't know. If you've ever see, read about the voltage wars, mm -hmm. um, you know, between, you know, Edison and Tesla and others, it's, it's uh, everybody's afraid of what they don't know. Half, half the people in the United States won't get a COVID vaccine. So, yeah. Um, yeah. there's, there's, uh, you know, it, it, it's impossible to change human nature. You know, that's it's mm. a very, very governments maybe can do that. It's, it's very expensive. As I like to say, governments are very good at doing bad things, but very bad at doing good things. That's and, a fair way to put it. And they can they can make a lot of mistakes and start wars and pollute stuff. But on the good side, it, they're very, very challenged because you have to change human nature. Right. And, and the tools that they have, it's not that government is bad, just that the tools that they have, uh, taxing, incentives, the yeah. tools that they have can't make families stay together. They can't make guys stop beating their wives. They can't, you know, they can't change human behaviors um, through, through fiat or laws. And that's why they're good at one thing and not good at another. But, of course, they think they're good at both. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder, um, so your, your systems, um, in India, what are, what is like the biggest challenge you've had a bit sound? I mean, when we just talk about it, it sounds pretty <laughs> painless, but like, what are the like pain points for you? Like trying to get new stations up or maybe adoption in a community? Well, the biggest, I would say the, the biggest pain point, well, so we have, we have, Uber as a partner and, and Microsoft and Bosch is our technology partner. Mm. I think we're through most of the major pain points. The, 
the last two or three years, we had a lot of pain points as people were skeptical that this would work. The one thing this has that I've never had before in my life is I've always been in a business where I've been trying to acquire customers, just like you're trying to acquire listeners or readers. There's a cost to that, mm-hmm. right? You want people to w- listen to your podcast or watch your YouTube videos, and there's a cost to, to alerting them and getting awareness. This is the first business I've ever seen where the government is doing it for me. The government is telling people they have to have an electric vehicle. Right. And that, that's a first for me. This is one of the times where I think government is doing good, good. Um, and so I'm not having to spend a lot of time and energy trying to convince people um, they're buying these vehicles as fast as we can make them. Now, so I'm, I'm just unaware of like, I just, you know, assumed that the majority of the tuk-tuks were gasoline still. Can you walk me through... Sure. When so, electricity came into being for that? So I think electricity came in, I'm not 100% sure, I don't have this at my fingertips, but the mandate to go to all electric came about a year or two ago. And so there are still... Was that um, from pressure from Western countries or like how did that even become a thing for them? I think it was just, just pollution. The people were tired gotcha. of pollution. And by the way, these things vibrate and they belch gas. They were the old style engines. I think the pollution, you know, you you want to get a law passed, have a lot of pollution in a politician's house. And that'll do it every time. Yeah. And uh, the, the pollution in some of the cities like Delhi and Mumbai and, and uh, Bangalore w- was really like nothing Americans are used to. Right. And. You, you also have, you know, people burning fields, um, lots of particulate matter. And quite frankly, a lot of these people, it, it's really hard to tell them you can't industrialize because people in America are worried about, you know, your use of electricity. They're just, you know, you don't see a lot of air conditioning. Um, and these places are pretty hot. They, they haven't gotten there yet, but they have gotten to a lot of labor-saving devices like televisions um, and washing machines and things that we take for granted are just coming into a lot of these countries. Right. So uh, the one thing they do have in abundance, though, is car horns on any vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. It's the, the national bird. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, very interesting to consider that. Like I said... Um, I, I like really wonder like how granular does it get? Like who, who, who is like, the, I guess what is it? Who's the guy when they're told like, yeah, you know, you're gonna have to get rid of your gas vehicle you just got or whatever. Like who is that guy? Like, I don't know. It's like how deep down to like the everyday man does it get? Or is it sort of like a community? And then it's just like, okay, I don't know how the laws work in India, but like, okay, there's now, now our community has this rule. Like, or is there, I don't know. Is there a guy who's just mad? Their laws are relatively comparable to ours. They derive from from Great Britain, mm-hmm. and they have a similar legal system. But hey, look at here. You're not going to in in California. I think is it 2030. You can't you can't sell an internal combustion engine in California past 2030. So it's here. Mm, so um, did that come about? Because like again, we just had that announcement from all like the big car manufacturers about the EVs they want to have by 2030. Was, was that all at the same time or like one f- forced the other? Yeah, I, I, I tend to call that nudge theory. Yeah. Um, and, and you see that in the law and in papers and you start to see people writing papers and little notes and articles and, and, and they kind of nudge you along and nudge you along. And, mm. and then someone in some, you know, maybe it's San Francisco or or Atherton, California, someplace that can really afford it, does it. And then somebody else does it. You know, things generally don't happen overnight. They, mm-hmm. except in the pandemic. Um, yeah. But you know, they get nudged and over time people change their behaviors. They change their perceptions. It, 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 it takes a while. And um, I, I've, I've watched a lot of changes in the, 
70 odd years I've been here. And um, some of them for the better and some I don't know about. We won't find out till after I'm gone. I, I personally have a bit of like an aversion to the, because there's a whole, I mean, it's, it's a, a sort of more in the political sphere, but that is part of, you know, getting this tech integrated. But I, I'm really not a fan of the whole like push to just like shove it down people's throats overnight. Like that's just, in my opinion, not going to help. Like this, the, the what you guys are doing, um, just, I mean, this is not a great thing, but a silver lining of the pandemic, especially here in New York City, is we saw um, personal electric vehicles explode overnight. Like all of us guys who've been riding for years were like, okay, each summer we're seeing more people get an electric scooter or a bike or whatever. And then we're like, okay, next time will be bigger, bigger and bigger, bigger. And then the pandemic hit. It was just like everybody who was like hmm, an electric scooter, like they all have them now. <laughs> so it's like interesting things are really sort of just naturally making it come along. Far be it for me to, to be critical, but one thing that's always bugged me, and it bugs me more as I get older, uh, and, and I'm going to offend a lot of Harley hog drivers, those things are so loud that, you know, you, if, if you live near a road and, and on Sundays 60 hogs come by, it can rattle your windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Now, it, it just seems to me that I get it. It's fun. It's loud. It's cool. But... You know, there are a lot of babies who are waking up and a lot of people who are upset. And um, I, I, I love the product. I think it's cool. But some of them are really, really loud. If you did this, if you made the same noise in a car, they ticket you. Yes. Yes. Um, it's interesting because I, I every year try to go to the um, Formula E race that they have here in Red Hook, Brooklyn. And... Um, the sound those cars make in that race is amazing. It sounds sounds like something out of Star Wars. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, interesting because Harley was there showing off uh, their electric um, motorcycle. And us like nerds, like pushing our glasses up, we're laughing at the fact that like it's a completely silent Harley. But I guess they thought their fan base would be sad about that. So they're pumping this ridiculous sound out tied to the RPMs. <laughs> we were like, oh, my gosh. Because I, I heard people be like, oh, isn't that cool? It makes that sound. The electricity is so cool. I'm like, it's fake. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Fake. I don't think fake cuts it anymore. I think, I think your generation and the generations that come behind you are into authentic. They're into real they're into honest. They're into, you know, natural. They're not into pre-recorded sounds uh, coming out of the back of your motorcycle. Yeah, that's I'm, my opinion. I'm I'm not one of them, but that's just what I observe. Yeah, look, I mean, it was it was pretty laughable for us in the moment. You know, there was other tech. We we walked right on by to go check out other tech that was being shown off in like the little off area. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a thing, so the, uh, Volkswagen had, uh, their big event the other day. That's correct. Um, I, they mentioned somewhere at the beginning about recycling batteries. Did you see, I didn't quite dive into what they were talking about. Is that a thing happening now? That's a whole, recycling batteries would be the subject of an entire other one hour podcast. I bet. And there are people who are more knowledgeable about recycling batteries than I am. It's obviously a big issue. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of energy to environmentally dispose of a battery. Um, newer batteries will be more disposable than existing batteries. We'll get better at this. I know a lot of people just say, assume the technology, and that has worked for the last 40 years. Um, but sometimes it doesn't work. People have been trying to make batteries better since <clears throat> since I had a uh, Mattel Burke gun in 1962. Um, and, um, you know, the swappable batteries that go into your flashlight or your toys are better than they were 60 years ago. But it's yeah. pretty much the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that you guys uh, partnered different companies. Is Tell me some more about that. What does that look like? Do you, do you have some exciting partnerships that you've dove into that um, maybe 
I don't know, that are just really interesting. Yeah, so rather, than, rather than build all these apps in the cloud and all that stuff ourselves, um, we had Satya Nadella to India, and um, we partnered with Microsoft, and they do all that. So you can now be either on Android or Apple, and you can see in real time on your phone where you are, where the nearest charging station is, the condition of your batteries, how much you paid. So you can actually see how much you've spent so you know how much to charge. Right. And we have all that data. We know that data is very valuable. Where you go, when you go, who you're going to see, we have all that data. We know where our customers are. And if they have a problem, we can reach out and help them. And on those apps, we can sell them financing. We can sell them help with payments. We can sell them birthday cards. We, 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 we visit with our customers 60 or 70 times a day where they're looking at the screen on our app. Right. That is very valuable. There's probably, other than your mail app, nothing you look at 60 or 70 times a day. Sure. And what do you so, think you'll do with that information as far as advancing the, the technology you're using right now for the future? Well, it'll help us fund our business plan because doing this is not inexpensive. Although I will tell you, just to give you a comparison, a software engineer in the United States, a good software engineer in the United States, you probably have to pay him 180000 bucks a year. In India, it's 6300 Whoa. And, and they're probably just as good, if not better. And I can so, attest to that. <laughs> I mean, I, so, if you go on YouTube and you just type in, like, how to fix X, Y, and Z on Microsoft Windows 10 or whatever, like, the guy from India will answer that question faster and better than some American who's doing it. That's right, because he needs the money. And, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. But... So I think that we have spent, you know, quite a lot of money, but because it's in India, we've made it go really far. Mm. And eventually we're going to have to fund out our business plan and we'll have to sell our data and do all the other things that people do in order to build this out in other countries, because we think this is a great solution. And, and, and I personally love the second life of the batteries. You've got people, primarily women, walking around with cans, you know, milk jugs of volatile gasoline sure. to, run, to run generators. They could be doing the same thing with a swappable battery. They could build a little, they're like Legos. You could put them together and put a solar panel roof on it and it will recharge as opposed to making that walk every day with the gasoline, and it'll pump your water, give you lights. I mean, I don't think people really know this, but I've been to places in India where, you know, you you complain that, you know, your battery cable is out. They haven't seen a dentist in their entire life. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's a real difference. Yeah, go ahead. And and I, I think most Americans just don't don't really have a good a good concept. Like take Indonesia, which is a country in which I've done a lot of business and I like. Indonesia has two hundred and fifty million people, almost as many as the United States. I'll bet you you could win that bar bet nine times out of ten. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of people out there who. Who, who are not Americans and don't live the life that we live, and they need to move around too. They need to go to the doctor. They need to go and get food. They need to go and swap goods and services. Right. Um, we just kind of forget about that because we're 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 so worried that Joe Biden's falling down on the stairs on Air Force One that right. you know another country could disappear under the waves and it wouldn't get any airtime. Yeah, that's a huge. I mean forever i think people who are a little you know awake have seen that we, we're pretty insular we don't really care to talk about the rest of the planet and if you talk to some friends around the world they're like why don't you guys ever discuss the things that happen around the world yeah you we can afford to be we can afford to be insular 
if you're um, a Swede and you have 11 million or however many people, they all speak 10 languages. Why? Maybe not 10, but quite a few. They have to. Yeah. They have to, right? Um, they're just any of these smaller countries that are in an independent, interdependent system have to speak multiple languages and understand the news and culture of other countries. In the United States, I, I saw a statistic once that half the people born in Texas and California never leave the state. This, interestingly enough, so this is like a bit weirder because you're sort of talking about specifically Americans there, but there's like a crazy stat that like, Things like 80 or 90% of the Chinese people born into Chinatown in Manhattan have never been to Central Park. Well, but that would be very consistent, wouldn't it? That's just, that's wild. I'm not from New York originally. I'm, I'm from South Florida. I've been here like 13 years, but it's like, oh, when I learned that. I was like, really? I mean, it's right there. It's, oh, <laughs> I'm it's sure they haven't that day either. Yeah. So, um, yeah, people tend to stay, if you look at the statistics, Americans tend to stay within 30 miles of where they were born. So yes. It's, um, so we are insular and we have a very low rate of passports compared to other countries. Um, you, could, you could go on vacation in the United States every day for the rest of your life and not repeat yourself. That's one of the great things, right? Like there are plenty of people Absolutely. who understand this, that um, you don't have to. I mean, it's great to go to Milan or Tokyo or wherever, but you don't have to. You can really experience a lot here, which is most countries don't have that luxury. So you, you could I mean, um, I, I have not seen all of the West of the United States, but I'll bet you if you live in Denmark, you can see a lot of it in your lifetime. Mm. But you really have to work it to be to just see all the states get to alaska and hawaii that's that's quite a bit of travel we have a very large diverse country and most of it's empty yes i mean you can skip indiana just <laughs> move on i i once uh, drove I, I drove from here to uh san diego once took an interesting route like across to columbus and then down to texas and then over the southwest kind of route and i just remember that was awful it's like what what is this? When are we done with this state? <laughs> yeah. I know there, there, there are, as, as my friends like to call them, the square states. Mm. Um, and, um, but you know what? There are people that live there that love them and, and care about them. And, of course. And, 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 I, and, and I feel the same way. I, 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 I love the square states. And um, I, I don't mind going through miles and miles of corn. Um, it's kind of exciting. But right. I'm... I mean, I think anything different from like maybe your norm should be kind of exciting. Like for me, I loved uh, going through New Mexico. This is is one of the coolest states I've ever seen. Like this is going to sound funny, but I grew up in South Florida. My family are big Disney fans. So Walt Disney brought a lot of cultures to his theme parks as much as it's been Disneyfied. But like I remember like there's like a, a, a resort there that is sort of like a Southwest themed, like a, a lot of Adobe and turquoise and that kind of thing. I remember right when we drove through, I was like, wait, this is real? Like they really <laughs> have all this like turquoise stuff and these like s- sun looking things. And like, this was like, I, this is young me just like, wow, this, cause I saw the Disney version of this. <laughs> so I guess he did a good job of importing it into his little fake world, but I was like, this is so cool. Well, hey, Ming, I got to actually get on another call, which I apologize. I hope I answered all your questions. Yeah, I think I just have one uh, last one, which uh, is, so in a lot of the micromobility devices, um, battery safety is something that has been lacking for a long time. Um, I am curious uh, for your batteries, you know, you brought up the women who have to carry gasoline. What What is like the the measures in place to prevent uh, some sort of lithium fire, like, or how likely or, yeah, what, what does that look like? Our, our pod manages in real time the thermal management of the battery. If it gets warm, we tell you. Okay. And, and I'll tell you, I, I had a good friend who's a very famous entrepreneur here in the United States, and he had a Tesla, 
and it was parked in his garage. And of course, his house was on top of the garage. He lives mm-hmm. on the water in Miami, and his Tesla went on fire and almost killed the whole family. Oh. And your fire does tend to go straight up. Yes. Um, and so, um, and obviously safety, you know, it's no good having a Tesla if you're dead. So um, we do monitor the thermal management of the battery on a real-time continuous basis. Will it shut and, itself off? Uh, we'll sh- we can, yes. We have software that will shut it off. Gotcha. So there's a threshold if it breaches that That's threshold. Right. If it gets hot, we shut it off. Because you have... You usually have three batteries in one of these tuk-tuks, so you've got two to go, and then it'll say, your battery's too hot, go get another one. Gotcha. So it's like the, the BMS is actively working and connected to the grid, as you're sort of saying. 100% of the time. Gotcha. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This is so interesting, uh, what you guys are doing, and I like sort of the nuance of the, we'll call it the conversation that your company's having, right, with, with this te- technology. I think that would be really cool to see mass adoption we're we're trying hard we just want to get people to think about what i call horses for courses you just don't want to build one vehicle to do everything there are multiple vehicles to do multiple things and you should think about the 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 system that powers them the same way Mm -hmm. awesome well thank you so much thank you it was great fun and i'll uh I'll, I'll get your email and share uh, some other stuff with you. Awesome. Sweet. Cool. Take care. Have a good day. Thank you so much for watching, and I'll see you on the next one.